Alrighty, church. Well, it's a great privilege uh, to see you this morning, to be preaching once again. Trust if you're still on holiday, that God is refreshing you. If you're going back to work already, that you've got that joy of the Lord in spring step inside of you. If you start work tomorrow morning, may the Lord strengthen you, trusting for an amazing 2024. It's going to be an action-packed year, and I'm excited to see what God is going to do. And around that, uh, do you remember that saying? I'm sure you've heard the saying before, give a man a fish, you feed him for a day, give him a fishing rod and you feed him for a lifetime. Something of that is what's sort of been stirring inside of me when it comes to the Word of God. I confess, I live in what I call pastoral ignorance bliss. And basically what that means is in my heart of hearts, I just have this naive thought that every one of the members of Outlook and all the followers of Jesus every day spend 20, 30, 40 minutes meditating on God's Word, spend time on their knees praying, they loving God's Word. And, and I know that's not true. I know that for many Christians, the study of God's Word is a verse of the day that flashes up, yep, got it, and then press on with their busy lives. And I love preaching and teaching God's Word, but more powerful and more valuable than coming every week to learn a new lesson from God's Word is learning to really study God's Word for yourself. I loved Nzuzo, what you were saying. I can see God's called you to preach, but I can't wait to see you getting up here preaching more and more. You have to go back to Cape Town. Can't you just stay and just uh, come and join the preaching team? Yeah, boy. And uh, so, but I love what he was saying in, in terms of discovering what it means to learn to chew on God's word and yourself learn to read it in a way that you can harvest the life and power of God. And that's what we're going to be talking about over, ideally over this whole year, is turning the focus more and more from just learning from someone else what God's word says to being encouraged to learn to harvest God's word for yourself. My word for the year, someone asked me the other day, Brian, what's your word for the year? It's probably the word devoted. I love that scripture and I shared the end of last year in Acts 2.42, it says they devoted themselves to this, uh, the, the, old, I mean, the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to pray. I love that sense of devotion, which was practical. It became a lifestyle. Are we living a lifestyle of devotion, which is what we're going to be talking about. So... Let's get right into it. You've got on your seat a reading plan, which on the one page talks about that soap, a simple method, which I'm going to try and model. And I've asked the preachers as we do this little mini series through the book of Philippians, just to model what does it mean to soap, to be washed by the word of God, to learn, to observe scripture as we read it, as we apply it, as we pray it. And we're going to be, and on the back, is a reading plan for the next four weeks. So if you're still at a place of kind of fanning through the Bible, choosing a verse or verse of the day, I'm going to ask you to take this, pop it in your Bible, and, uh, and use it as a reading plan over the next four weeks. So the book of Philippians is what we are going to be studying over the next little while, which is, the, is actually one of my favorite books. Have you read the book of Philippians? I know most of you have. Some of you might never have read it before. It's a great book. Some people call it the book of joy. The word joy appears so many times, which is amazing since Paul, the writer of the book, is in jail at the time. And even though he's in jail, he's writing about the joy of the Lord, which is such a beautiful thing. I think the church at Philippi, he was writing a letter to the church. I think it was one of his favorite churches. He'd planted this church. They were very dear to his heart, and he wanted to encourage them. Now, remember, we have to understand when the New Testament was written, 
The writers of the New Testament didn't know they were writing the Bible. I mean, they didn't. Paul was just writing letters. I would phone pastors of different churches and say, hey guys, how's it, how's it going? Here's some encouragement. Paul couldn't do that. And so he would send letters to encourage. He didn't know at the time that these very letters that he was writing would actually one day be part of the scriptures that we would call our Bible. And so it's important when we realize then that these are not just books of the Bible. They had a purpose when they were written. It was someone writing to someone or to a group of people or to a church at a specific time in a specific location with a specific purpose in mind. And part of what it means to learn to read the, the Bible well, to learn to harvest the true meaning, is not what does the Bible mean to me today. First, we've got to understand what did the Word of God mean to the people then? Because Paul was writing to a people in a specific context, in a specific culture, in a specific time, and it, ne it needed to mean something to them. And when we can understand what the Bible means to its original recipients, then we can understand more clearly how it impacts our lives. Does that make sense? And so I'm going to try and paint a little picture for you today about what this beautiful book is about. Basically, he was writing, he had four main reasons. The biggest reason, he actually just wrote the letter to say thank you. This church, we're going to see later, was an incredibly generous church supporting his apostolic ministry. And he was really writing the letter to say thank you so much for this amazing gift. But he also wrote because he wanted to update them. They'd heard, hey, Paul, the guy who'd planted the church, they was, he'd visited them twice. Silas and Timothy had visited the church. They had a close relationship. Now they hear he's in jail in Rome. Is he going to be executed? And Paul was writing to say, actually, I'm doing well. But he also wrote to encourage them. Christians in those days were going through tremendous persecution on the one side. And on the other side, the Jews were trying to bring back the legalism. If you're a Christian, you need to go back to the law. It's about the rules and regulations. And Paul was using the opportunity not just to say thank you and update, but to say, guys, keep on standing strong. Opposition is part of what means to be a follower of Jesus. And watch out for the law. Keep standing in this beautiful and precious grace of Jesus. So we're going to be looking at that over the next chapters. But today I'm looking at chapter one. Main focus is Paul just wanted to update them and tell them how he's doing, but then use his laugh as an encouragement for them. They'd heard, Jeepers, he's in prison. Is he depressed? Is he down? Is he... What? No, no. He wants to use his laugh as a testimony to encourage them. So what I did is I read the chapter, just like I'm asking you to read the chapter over this next week. And as you read the chapter, don't read speed read. Read it slowly with the Holy Spirit. Before you ever read the Bible, try and make a habit of saying, Holy Spirit, please come and speak to me from your word. I would always encourage you to read the Bible with a pen or if you're an electronic Bible person like I am, know how to use your highlighters. And my goal is to always read until I've highlighted or underlined something. And sometimes you read a passage and you think like, whoa, that's just dry toast. Go back and read it again. Holy Spirit, speak to me. And you want to read it until something catches your attention. Like that little phrase stood out to me or that verse stood out to me. And once you've found your standout, highlight it or underline it and then ask yourself, why? Why? Why, why did that verse jump out to me? So I'm going to quickly give you an overview of the chapter by giving you four examples of some of the things that jumped out to me. So Philippians chapter 1. 
Verse number seven, Paul said, it's right for me to feel this way about all of you since I have you in my heart and whether I'm in chains or defending and confirming the gospel, all of you share in God's grace with me. God can testify how I long for all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. That little phrase I underlined, affection of Christ Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? I mean, I love that. It speaks about such an amazing warmth. In fact, I, I just, when I wrote that, when I underlined it, I just, Lord, I, I want you to fill me with your affection for people. I don't want to be that kind of distant church where we like how far from a distance and at the end of worship, we quickly like shake someone's hands. Lord, we want your affection in our heart. It speaks about this beautiful warmth and love for one another. So that's what I've been praying over you, church, that God would come and fill us, fill me, Lord, that we would have a true affection of. It's not even your affection. Maybe you, you're not really a people person. Maybe you like keep your distance from me. That's okay because the Bible speaks about the affection of Christ Jesus. And if it's in the Bible, we can trust God for it. We can put our faith out and say, Lord, I'm not really a people person, but would you give me your affection so that I can love your people well? Verse number 12 carries on and says, Now I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that what has happened to me has actually served to advance the gospel. Next little phrase I underlined was that one, advance the gospel. As a result, verse 13, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. And because of my chains, most of the brothers and sisters have become confident in the Lord and dare all the more to proclaim the gospel without fear. I love that. I don't understand his logic, but it just seems to work. In other words, everyone's heard that I preached the gospel and they threw me in jail. So now they've become more confident to preach the gospel as well. Well, I don't know how that works, but somehow it worked. But what I love about Paul is that little phrase, advance the gospel. Everything about his life was, Lord, it doesn't matter what happens as long as the gospel advances. And, and what it did is it helped him. It gave him a perspective of how to interpret every situation. Lord, this has happened to me. How's this going to advance the gospel? And it became his sort of perspective, his driving motivation. I'm convinced, Lord, that no matter what happens in my life, the purpose is to advance the gospel. Imagine you go back to work tomorrow and you realize that person that you hated has now been promoted to become your boss. That's right. Satan's cousin is now your boss at work. And you think, well, good God, where is you? But imagine if at that moment your driving motivation was, this has got to advance the gospel somehow. So that means, Lord, I'm going to have to interact with Satan's cousin in a way that advances the gospel. Holy Spirit, you're going to have to help me. But you hear what I'm saying? Everything about his life, he interpreted through that lens of advancing the gospel. I remember when, uh, when COVID began, remember all those back down and suddenly we at home and, and it's like, God, what am I supposed to do now? You called me to preach. We're a church. And that's why we, then we got into these online things, started making videos. And the reason was because I read about Paul and Paul wrote this. He said, so even if I'm locked up, the word of God can never be chained. And I suddenly had this thought, the call of God on our lives, advancing the gospel is not circumstance dependent. And I was, Paul was a, a, an apostle to the nations. God's called you, I've called you to the nations, but now he's locked up in jail for two years. For two years, he's under house arrest, can't leave his house. I can imagine sitting down and sulking before the Lord. Thanks for nothing. 
You called me to be an apostle to the nations, and now I'm locked up at home while I'm just going to watch videos and Netflix. But his thinking was, how does this advance the gospel? And you know what happened? Because of his two-year lockdown or lockup in his case, he started writing letters because he couldn't visit them. If he hadn't written those letters, we wouldn't have the New Testament. Up to that point, Paul was visiting all the churches and he'd have a few huntlungers who came along with him. Timothy, Silas, they were there. But now that he's locked up, they weren't. He had to start saying, okay, now you guys have to go back to those churches. And somehow Timothy stepped into this new apostolic role and he led the church in Ephesus and Silas was going and the, the, the team grew. So Paul decided, well, Now that I'm locked up, I have to have a guard. One of these Roman guards has to sit and guard me every day. But he's under house arrest, so it's not like in the stocks. So we might as well have our meals together. In fact, I might as well share the gospel with every single guard who has to come and spend the whole day with me. And so one by one, he began to preach the gospel to all the Roman guards who worked in Caesar's palace. And guess what? The gospel began to infiltrate Herod and all of those. And and somehow the gospel advanced. And he prayed. Mighty man of prayer. What's my point? His thinking was always in every situation, how does the gospel advance? Church, imagine if that was our thinking. If you reinterpreted your situation through that lens. Anyway, here's another one, Philippians 1.19. It says, For I know that through your prayers and God's provision of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage. That little phrase jumped out at me. So that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. And I felt that challenge, Lord, do we have, do I have sufficient courage to do what you've called me to do? There's a calling upon every one of our lives. You know it, something inside of you. God has called you. God's got a plan and a purpose for your life. God's called you to be the light into the darkness, to be the salt to the earth. That means having some conversations with people. That means being bold and going on outreach. That means leadership and making a stand. That means not compromising, but all of that requires courage. Do you have, do I have sufficient courage? And I found myself praying. It's one of my most common prayers for myself and for the church. Lord, enlarge our courage. Give us the boldness. We need more Josephs in our country, more Daniels in the the marketplace. We need more Esthers who will face people of prominence with the truth. God, will you raise them up? Sufficient courage. And then verse number 27, he says, Whatever happens, conduct yourself in a manner worthy of the gospel of Christ. Don't you love that? That little phrase, worthy of the gospel of Christ. Then whether I come and see you or only hear about you in my absence, I will know that you stand firm in the one spirit, striving together as one for the faith of the gospel without being frightened in any way by those who oppose you. This is a sign to them that they will be destroyed, but that you will be saved and that by God. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for him. Since you're going through the same struggle you saw I had and now hear that I still have. Worthy of the gospel. And I felt the question right there, Brent, am I living a life worthy of the gospel? 
Friends, God is uniquely, it says, the Bible says He determines the exact times and places where we should live. God has arranged the job for you, the environment for you, the people that surround you. Whether you're working in a school, in a factory, from home, wherever you are, God has put you there. The question now is, are we living lives worthy of the gospel? And it's hard. That's why Paul's not trying to sugarcoat the gospel. He said, actually, it's been granted to you. Not just this glorious grace, but actually, we're going to suffer with Christ. And what we're going to realize is in that suffering, we find a greater revelation of Jesus, a greater intimacy with Jesus. He's saying, don't be scared of the suffering. We'll live a life worthy of the gospel. Our nation needs men and women of God like never before. Your company, your business, your factory, your school needs bold, courageous men and women who love Jesus. They don't just go to church on Sunday. They live lives worthy of the gospel. Sure, this is an amazing book. Do you know that suffering in the New Testament is not punishment for your sin? Jesus was punished for your sin. Suffering in the New Testament well, we, we see the model in Christ. It says in Hebrews 5 verse 8, Son, speaking about Jesus, though He was, He learned obedience from what He suffered. And once made perfect, He became the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. Suffering becomes a source. Did you see that? He learned obedience from what He suffered. And once He'd been made perfect, in other words, complete, He's learned, He became a, the source Suffering becomes a source. That's what the New Testament suffering is about. What you're going through right now, under God, can become a source of blessing for others. The Bible says the God of all comfort, He comforts us in our troubles so that we can comfort others with the comfort we have received from Him. In other words, if you suffer well in the kingdom of God, God will turn your suffering into a source of life and salvation for others. Don't you love this book? These are just some of the powerful highlight moments. But that's not what I'm preaching about today. So I've got 10 minutes to preach. I just want to share, I love this book. And there's so many beautiful truths that we can meditate on. The big focus is actually right at the beginning. Chapter 1, verses 3 to 6. And Paul said, I thank my God every time I remember you in all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel. From the first day until now, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. And I want to ask this question. Are you, are we, am I, are we gospel partners or are we gospel consumers? That's the question. Paul is thanking them. This is what gives him joy is this church is a church of gospel partners, not just gospel consumers. Partners are in it together, yoked together like oxen pulling a plow, working together. And so he says, from the first day, church, you guys have been gospel partners. Well, this church had amazing first days. In fact, I want to tell you the story quickly of how this incredible church came to being. It started off in Acts chapter 16, verses 9 and 10. Here's the background to the book. It says, during the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia. Macedonia is the province, and Philippi, the book, book of Philippians, Philippi was the leading, was like the capital city of that province. 
I had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. After Paul had seen the vision, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. So this book, this church started with a vision that God gave Paul, come, come to Macedonia. So they jump on the boat the very next day, it takes them two days and they get to uh, the province and 10 miles from the coast, they get to the city of Philippi and here they arrived because God has called us. So what do you do now? Well, what Paul normally did when they wanted to plant a church was go to the synagogue and find the Jewish people and try and convince them, Jesus, you know the one you read about every week? He has come and he'd try and prove to them and show them from the scriptures. Problem is, in Philippi, there was no synagogue. For Jews to have a synagogue, they needed at least 10 adult Jews to come together because then they could form a synagogue. So if there's no synagogue, it means there's less than 10 Jewish adults in the whole city. So Paul goes to plan B. If there's not enough Jewish people to make a synagogue, usually the Jews that there are would gather at some place to pray. They had to pray five times a day. And so at the hour of prayer, normally the day one at, at 12 o'clock or at three, they would gather. That's why your Bible speaks about at three o'clock in the afternoon at the time of prayer. So what Paul did then is, that, is go and find the place that the Jews would gather. They would normally do it just outside the city at a river. So that's where he goes. And sure enough, here are a couple of ladies faithfully coming to pray. Paul begins to preach the gospel. Preaches the gospel to these Jews. And a lady named Lydia, she was a businesswoman. Her heart is open. She says, Amen. And, and, and just like that, she gives her life to Christ. And then she says to Paul, Now, Paul, I'm a believer. You're a believer. Come in my house. No more staying at the hotel. You are coming to my house to come. And so all his friends, they move into Lydia's house. And she begins to look after them. And she says, That message you told me, tell my husband, tell the family they need to hear about Jesus. He preaches to them. Whole family gets saved. They get baptized. So they have family number one. So for the next couple of days... Paul goes down to the river to preach, see if there's any more Jews who will believe. But as he goes to the river three o'clock every day to preach, there's this young girl, she's a slave and, and she's a fortune teller, you know, tarot card type reading. Literally, she's got a demon inside of her that can predict sort of the future and people would go to her. But every time Paul passed where she had her little tent, like a gypsy telling fortunes, she would call out, oh, he's the man of God. Listen to him. And, but not in, I was going to use my demon voice, but it's not really good. But not, so, so not in a positive way. So this happens two, three times. Eventually, Paul can't handle this anymore. He looks at this young girl and he says, that's it. In the name of Jesus Christ, demon come out of her. Bam, she's radically delivered. Yay, not yay, because that was a business. She was a slave. So now the slave owner's like, thanks for nothing. I can't make money out of her anymore. She can't predict the future. And so he drags Paul and his friends before the magistrate. The magistrate says, you have destroyed his business just because he delivered her from a demon. So you need to be punished. So they had in those days what you call the 39 lashes. You can't lash someone 40 times because technically they would die after 40 lashes. So they only get 39. So Paul and Silas get lashed 39 times for delivering a little girl from a demon and thrown into jail. So now they're sitting in jail, in the stocks, right in the middle, locked up in the stocks, bleeding, cut, because you've been lashed to the point of death. And if I was me, I would be grumpy. I would be like just sulking. God, where are you? They're singing and worshiping at midnight. That's why we have New Year's Eve celebration at midnight. 
It's in the Bible. So anyway, so midnight comes. They singing and worshiping the Lord. The other prisoners are like, what is going on here? These guys are half dead. There's blood all over them. And here they singing to some God. 12 o'clock strikes, and with the strike comes an earthquake. Literally, whole prison shaken to the point where, just look at that. All the doors of the jails open, all the shackles and stocks just open. Jailer runs in. His job is obviously to keep them all safe. He's woken from his sleep by the shaking, looks out here. He has all the prisoners now standing up free of their chains. Doors are open. He pulls out his sword. He's about to commit suicide because he's failed in his job. Paul says, whoa, 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 whoa. No, no, we're here. We're not leaving. He looks at this and he says, yo, tell me, how do I get saved? <laughs> I want this God that you're serving. Tell me about him. So now Paul, in front of the prisoners and the jailer, now he starts telling them about Jesus. And, and then the jailer's like, whoa, 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 the rest of my family needs to hear this. Gets his family out of bed. This is 2 a.m. in the morning so they can hear the gospel. They're like, no, no, whole family baptized. Literally, they were baptized that night. We baptized someone 11, 11 p.m. The, the other night, New Year's Eve. This is like 3 a.m. in the morning. Whole family, get out of bed. Put your pajamas, up, whatever, come. Brush your teeth. We're going to be baptized right now. And then the jailer's like, no, come and have food with us. Now, one minute he was their jailer. Now he's serving them breakfast, cooking for them, washing. And then the next day they're kicked out of the city. But a church has been planted. And you know who was in that church? Lydia, Jewish woman, who stood up and said, hey, my house can become the base. You can meet here. Plus, a little girl, slave, who's just been demon-possessed and who's just been set free. She's member number two. Plus, some Roman jailer and his family and maybe some of the prisoners. Welcome to the church at Philippi. Isn't that a beautiful church? There it is. So Paul now has to leave the city, but a church remains. So this is the church that he's writing to. Sometimes in our mind, we picture this huge congregation of happy, comfortable, middle class. No, no. These are the people that formed the church at Philippi. And he says to them, you know what gives me so much joy? is your partnership in the gospel. Let me leave you with three challenges. Are we gospel partners or gospel consumers? Number one, gospel partners are radical in repentance. Consumers, they just play Christian games. I love the fact, Lydia, it's like, no, right now, you stay in my house, whole family, hear the word of God, we're in, boots and all. No half measures, we're all in. The jailer, Middle of the night, wash their wounds, bring them a meal, family, hear the word. No, let's get baptized now. I want to ask you, church, are you still radical in your repentance? When the Holy Spirit convicts you, is it like, oh, that's a food for thought? No, no. I hate it when people say after the sermon, oh, nice sermon, pastor, you gave me food for thought. I'm not here to give you food for thought. We're trusting the Holy Spirit will convict you of sin and then radically repent so that we line our lives up with the Word of God. Does that make sense? Our response to God's Word should never be, oh, let me ponder that. No, ponder it and then let the Holy Spirit convict you and then be radical in your repentance because gospel partners know radical repentance leads to gospel power. Playing church when we just entertain some ideas doesn't produce anything. Secondly, gospel partners, I love this, they get the church into their lives. Consumers just get their lives into the church once a week. 
both of these examples from Lydia and from the jailer, their first response was, no, we want you in our home. None of this just, I'm going to go to church once a week. No, no, we want the church in our home. They opened up their home. They extended their dining room table. You see, gospel partners know ministry comes out of a home. Is your home a place of ministry? Is your dining room table a place of ministry? Our dream would be that all those people who put up their hands, they're brand new to the church. Imagine if 17 of you over coffee afterwards invited them for lunch and invited you to your connect group. Because once we get around a table together, that's where family is formed and that's where ministry happens. Not just a, a fist pump and a high five and I'll see you next Sunday. No, no, I don't want to just get my life to church. I want the church into my life. I want to open our home, our dining room table to be used by God. And then lastly, gospel partners want to give their time, treasure, talents to be part of the mission. Consumers just want to receive from the mission. Has the switch clicked inside of you where you make the transition from receiving mode to giving and serving mode? Listen to this church. Remember this church, the jailer, the young slave girl and Lydia? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verse number 1, it says, Now, dear brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. Who's the Macedonian churches? Well, Philippi was the main church. So he's now talking, he's giving a testimony about this new church. In the midst of a severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on their own, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the Lord's people and they exceeded our expectation. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us as well. Friends, are we still in receive mode? Are we in giving mode? You know that gift, remember he's writing the letter to say thank you? Well, what, what difference did it make? Well, now Paul is not in Philippi anymore. Later on, he moved to Corinth because he was planting this church in Corinth. And it says in Acts 18, it says, because Paul was a tent maker as they were, he stayed and he worked with them. In other words, he's trying to preach the gospel, but he's got to feed himself. And so he worked part-time, work, work, work to get enough money to live so that he can preach the gospel. Then verse number four, every Sabbath, he reasoned in the synagogue trying to persuade Jews and Greeks. But when Silas and Timothy came from Macedonia, ah, we know that's the church at Philippi, Paul devoted himself exclusively to preaching, testifying to the Jews that Jesus was the Messiah. What happened? How come as soon as Paul and Silas, I mean, Timothy and Silas came from Macedonia, now Paul doesn't have to work anymore? Why? because they brought this gift that he's now thanking them for. In other words, their financial support released Paul into ministry. Now, I'm not talking about finances today. I'm talking about partnership with the gospel. So, let me land with the challenge once again. If Paul visited our church, would he call us partners in the gospel? What about at a personal level? Are you a partner or a consumer of the gospel. As a church, are we committed to radical repentance? If we see it in God's word, we adjust immediately. If the Holy Spirit convicts us, we adjust immediately. 30 seconds to repent. As a church, are we open house? 
literally wanting to get the church into our homes. New people invited to lunch straight away, inviting people to connect groups right away, hosting a connect group in your home. Have you made the switch from receiving mode to giving and serving mode? As a church, the mission of advancing the gospel has become personal. It touches our finance, our time, our vacation days, everything. Are we gospel partners? Don't you love God's word? There's a story behind it. It's rich and it's real. And my prayer for all of us is not just that we'd be challenged on a Sunday by the word of God, but that we would go and dig in for ourselves and get the Holy Spirit to speak to us. Can you say amen to that? Why don't you stand with me, please? Father, this morning I pray in Jesus' name that you would commission afresh gospel partners. Father, we want to be a church known as gospel partners. We, we don't want to play Christian games. We don't want to be gospel consumers. We want to be gospel partners. I pray right now, Holy Spirit, that you would come and fire up our hearts. Holy Spirit, that you'd give us a hunger and a thirst for more of you and more of your word. I pray, Lord God, as we go into this new year, we would go in with a sense of passion, with a sense of mission, with a sense of we want to see the kingdom advancing, the gospel advancing wherever we are, through our families, through our work situation, our schools, whatever we're involved in, let your kingdom come, Lord. Let the gospel advance. And so, Father, I thank you for every single person this morning. Thank you for what you're doing in our lives. And friends, maybe you're here this morning and maybe like Lydia, God touched her heart. She opened her heart to respond to the gospel. Maybe you're here this morning and God has touched your heart to open your heart to respond, to say, yes, Jesus, I'm all in. Maybe like the jailer, you've never been baptized before. And you, to this morning you're saying, that's it. I want to start this year. I'm all in. I want to be baptized. I want to proclaim my love for Jesus. Friends, if that's you, we would so love to pray for you. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. So we're going to be praying for some folks straight after the meeting right now. And if you need prayer because uh, God has touched your heart and you need to respond, if you need prayer uh, in areas of sickness that you're trusting for healing, we'd love to pray for you right now. Father, thank you so much for your goodness and your grace. Thank you for this amazing church. Thank you that your hand is upon us, Lord. And, and thank you that you're commissioning us to use us into our city, into our nation, into the nations of this world. I pray, Lord, that you'd put a hunger in every single person to read your word, study your word. Holy Spirit, that you would speak to us from your word, because we pray all of this in Jesus' name. And God's people say, May the Lord bless you. If you do need prayer for anything, the elders are here. We'd love to pray with you. Come and join us. Tides and offering boxes are at the door if you want to make use of that. Don't forget the hello corner for those who are new. Otherwise, there's tea, coffee. God bless you. Have a great week. Amen.